whether it's a river runs through it or the oxbow incident, the last best place or legends of the fall, why is it that so many of the books that have defined the American West come from the same place? This is Breakfast in Montana. I'm Russell Rowland. And I'm Aaron Parrott. And we're going to spend the next half hour talking about two books from Montana, one from the past and one from the present, in an effort to understand what it is about this magical state that inspires so much incredible writing and so many memorable books. So pour yourself a good strong cup of coffee and spread some huckleberry jam on your toast. And welcome to Breakfast in Montana. I'm Russell Rowling. And I'm Aaron Parrott. <laughs> and for this episode, we're going to talk about a couple of great adventure stories. Um, well, one long adventure story and one collection of adventure stories. <laughs> but in both cases, stories told by expert storytellers and raconteurs. Yeah, that is for sure. So the first one is in a book that came out in the it actually was written back in the 1800s, but it came out in the 60s, and it's called Tough Trip Through Paradise by Andrew Garcia. And our other book is Tom Harpole's Regarding Willingness. And we haven't been uh, mentioning the subtitle, but the subtitle is Chronicles of a Fraught Life. <laughs> so it's a pretty great title. Yeah, it is a great title. And of course, we've known Tom for a while. He's a He's such an interesting guy and um, has had such an amazing life. So I was glad he finally got this collection published because he's he's written for decades and never had a book out. So no, most of his work was you know like he said with the big slick magazines, yeah, eighties and nineties and like know, Harper's and stuff, right? Yeah, I think he made a pretty good pretty good living just yeah. from his writing. But I have to point out also, this is the first book we've done where I have a, I blurb the book. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. So maybe this is a good intro to Tom Harpole. There you go. Um, I wrote an article about Tom and I said, he is what you might call a thinking man's evil Knievel. Oh, that's great. Not too many folks can so casually catalog a long list of traumas they've heaped upon themselves and still maintain the glint in their eye. Mm. He's logged a lot of crazy and interesting stories in the journal of his life. But some of these other blurbs, I think, are also worth reading just because, I mean, he is. Uh, Marga Lincoln said, when Tom Harpole talks of his story assignments and adventures, there's a sense that this guy just may be channeling the energy and spirit of Jack London, Mark Twain, and a dash of George Plimpton. <laughs> That's pretty good. That describes him pretty well. So, yeah, there's everything from jumping from airplanes in Russia to catching a football thrown out of an airplane and to getting a bear stoned to keep it from going crazy in the trap it was in. <laughs> yeah. His, his sense of humor is part of what makes this book so infectious. Um, but I think right out of the gate, I think there's one thing we got to um, point out in contrast between these two books while they're both awesome stories, Tom, will you know point out that everything in this collection has been fact-checked yes people at magazines so it's all true yes whereas i think with tough trip through paradise there's a lot of controversy about this book and though it's beloved by you know montanans and lots of other people and it's you know i would say it's a literary classic there's a lot in it that can't possibly be true mm -hmm. and has been questioned through the years isn't isn't this the book 
seems like somewhere along the line I heard this story about Ronald Reagan. Somebody gave this book to Reagan, and he stayed up all night reading it. <laughs> Could he read? <laughs> well, that's a whole other topic, but I think it was this book. I, I believe it. it. It sounds entirely plausible. So, yeah, you were going to. Well, and, you know, Reagan kind of makes sense because if ever there was a Montana book that was ready-made for the big screen. Mm. And in fact, I'm surprised that, you know, they haven't made a movie out of this already. But in doing research on this book, I came across this great article that was in the Montana Pioneer for, uh, let's see, what's the date? 2007. Well, before you read that, let's let's just tell the brief history of how this book came about because some somebody discovered it. Right. This um, editor discovered it. Right. So there was a guy in Livingston named Ben Stein. Yeah. Who, uh, I forget how he came across the manuscript. This article actually explains okay. all that. But okay. I won't read that part. Um, but for whatever reason, he ended up with papers belonging to this guy, Andrew Garcia. Mm -hmm. And Garcia was originally from Navajo country. Sort of in the southwest and ended up in Montana. But he wasn't native. He was no, he was Spanish, not native. He right? was Hispanic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And ended up in Montana and wrote all these memoirs. And the manuscripts, I think, run to fifteen hundred pages. Mm. And this guy Ben Stein somehow got a hold of them and then put together this book, Tough Trip Through Paradise, which was published in nineteen sixty seven and sort of became an instant classic. But Ben Stein would never let anybody see the actual manuscript. Mm. So I think until he died, there was a lot of speculation that he made it all up. Mm. And scholars were frustrated because they wanted to see the original stuff. But anyway, he died and the papers are now at the Montana Historical Society, mm. according to his son. And what I want to read is a excerpt from a piece that Ben Stein's son, David, wrote. Okay. And David's a filmmaker and he wanted to make a movie of this. And then didn't make the movie. And then this article in the Montana Pioneer from 2007 is his way of explaining why. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'll just summarize the article as uh, mostly supportive of his dad's work and definitely agreeing that it's a great story and it's a fun read, but there's obviously some stuff in it that can't be true. Mm. So the first paragraph of this paper says, uh, if a roughneck arms peddler wrote in telling three different stories how his wife died in the wilderness, a good detective might suspect foul play <laughs> and start asking questions. <laughs> the suspect is Andrew Garcia, author of the Montana classic Tough Trip Through Paradise, edited by my late father, Ben Stein, a former Livingston resident and Montana state senator. Mysteriously, for 40 years, Ben kept Garcia's original manuscript secret. When Ben died in 2001, we found Garcia's thousand chaotic, not always legible pages packed into a refrigerator-sized safe. Wow. Under contract to produce Tough Trip as a movie, I soon subjected myself to the torture of reading them. <laughs> Likewise, Robert Redford once set his sights on turning this epic Western adventure into a film as he has with other great Western stories, A River Runs Through It and Jeremiah Johnson. He approached Ben seeking permission, but Ben, a lover of literature and suspicious of Hollywood, blew him off in no uncertain terms. Wow. So the rest of the article, just to cut to the chase, is uh, David Stein wrestling with this legacy of his father's work on 
a tough trip through paradise. And the conclusion he seems to draw is that a lot of this stuff, Andrew Garcia must have made up. Mm -hmm. And then some of it he made up in ways that make you suspicious that he might have been involved in his own wife's death. Like, oh, I don't think he comes right out in the article and says he probably killed her, but it's certainly plausible. And he was a famous ladies man, as you know, from the, mm -hmm. the book itself. Um, and there's a lot of other inconsistencies and discrepancies and what, you know, David says have to be just complete fabrications. But I think the other thing the, the article does is it shows that uh, Andrew Garcia was a real guy and really wrote this stuff. Mm. And, um, it wasn't, you know, some hoax that Ben Stein put together. Right. So basically, if you look at it as a piece of literature, it's probably more accurate to call it a novel. <laughs> Which I think, yeah. And I yeah. think Tom Harpole would agree with that too. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a novel, it's fantastic. It's an amazing book. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking earlier with Tom about how the style is actually pretty similar to Tom's style. He's, he's got a really great conversational style and focuses so much on the details. So, and know, at the same time, and I think this accords with the passage that Tom reads from the book here. Uh -huh. He's obviously very intelligent, you right. know, when he's describing, you know, feeling like Balboa must have felt when he saw the Pacific. <laughs> you know, it's clear the guy was pretty well educated. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're pairing your, up, your book up with Tough Trip to Paradise. Oh, man, yeah. I know you like that book, so do yeah. you want to say anything about that? Uh, you know, could I see that thing for a second? Absolutely. Is this the Bernard DeVoto? No, no, this is edited by Bennett H. Stein. I think DeVoto did this, too, first, didn't he? No, I think he's... Stein he's, was the, he was the Stein was guy. the original. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was just... The first time I ran into this book, I, I read it twice just to mm. see how the hell they do it. And I still, I, I can't drive down that Shields River Valley without thinking about those guys tramping around up mm. here for, yeah. but uh, the stuff he knew about uh, descriptive detail and uh, characterizing people. I mean, he was, he's using a lot of novelist yeah. tricks in here just to keep that story. And uh, my uh, Russian friend, Sergei Litvinov, he and his sister, who was my interpreter in Russia a lot, um, they say you got to turn to page 69 on any book <laughs> to get an idea of just what what this writer's all about. Okay. So let me just read a, a, a little bit out of So here it is, just page 69 on Tough Trip Through Paradise. We had no trouble of any kind during the night, and we started off again early in the morning with our admiring friends still sticking to us. The trail ran up a creek, which kept getting smaller as we went along. Then it went over a low range of hills. When we came to the top of this hill, we could see that we were coming to our promised land at last. As we stood up there, Balboa, gazing on the Pacific, did not have anything on us. The Muscle Shell country was a beautiful land. A person could stand in the same place and see buffalo, deer, and elk, 
and all all at the same time without turning his head <laughs> and just those you know such detail and such reverence for place yeah it was really yeah it really affected me i think i read this my first year back i was living in a teepee out at the place naval and getting mm. ready to start building a house or something oh. yeah it really it, i just love this book Yeah, he's a good writer and a great storyteller. So I'm just going to read a little bit from there's a uh, this section where he's hooked up with these guys that are incredibly sketchy, and he's he's stuck with this partner who is just a total alcoholic. Like he he completely sometimes he's just completely non-functional, and so. Um, he kind of finds himself stuck with this group and not even sure what they're doing. And they're always going off and talking in a little circle without him. So he, he's scared a lot of the time. He again called me a sidewinder. And as I was not in any too good humor, I told him if he did not like my way of rounding up the horses, he could go plumb to hell and get them himself as this was the first time I knew that I was hired out as a horse wrangler for a bunch of horse lifters. One word brought on another, and it was not long until I had him frothing at the mouth, for I had thrown all caution to the winds and had made up my mind, die or not, I was not going to be called down at every turn by this half-breed horse thief. Besides, I had learned it not so hard to die after you get used to it. I remembered that a Scotch-Canadian named McGregor, who used to be a Hudson Bay dog driver, and who had put in many years in the Canadian Northwest among the half-breeds, said that they would stand for everything except to be called a Woods Cree. I never thought Labrie would take it so hard. He spit out the words at me, I'm going to kill you for that, the first chance I get, even if it is the, at the last act of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say about the overall uh, attitude toward the natives mm. in this because he marries an Indian woman yeah, and has lots of affairs with other Indian women. Yeah. And he's, it's interesting how often he's critical of the other guys that he's hanging out with for their treatment of the Indians and their attitude toward him. But he's also, you know, he's, he's a product of his time. I mean, he's, he's got his own issues with their, you know, talk, calling them savages and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, it's a product of its time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's pretty interesting that he married and, and seemed to be in love with that woman, too. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Even though he might have killed her. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's another example of, I don't know, just how complex, you know, racism yeah. works that, you know, I, I've been hearing this a lot lately that, you know, you could you could be married to this person of another race mm -hmm. and still be kind of a racist like yeah you know just that doesn't it just complicates things oh, in yeah. a weird way and i think that comes out in the book it definitely does yeah he also one of the things i liked about it actually was that he talks about some of the complexities of the different tribes like how different they are like, right you know no um he doesn't have this overall attitude toward natives that there's some tribes that he admires more than others. Sure. 
And so that was interesting. No, and I think that's another aspect of, you know, Montana with its many native Indian tribes that I think a lot of times these authors just kind of group all mm -hmm. indigenous people under one. Yep. You know, they're Indian. Yeah. But then, you know, you don't have to live in Montana very long and talk to Indians and you realize that they don't all get along and they're all very different yeah. people. Right. Even within the tribes. <laughs> so I guess the analogy would be, you know, like in Europe with all those little countries. Mm, right. Exactly. Yeah. We are here with our good buddy Tom Harpole today. We've been looking forward to this one for a while. Good to see you, Tom. Nice to see you guys. Thanks for making time for us. Yeah. yeah. Nice to have you. Tom wrote a book called Regarding Willingness, and it's actually a collection of essays that he's written through the through the not just through the years, through the decades. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That last Butch one, it goes back to 86 in Ireland. Okay. And I, I was going to school at University College at Galway and uh, just taking English writing and then Latin and Greek. And I wrote this story in my spare time. And I sent it to uh, Strand Magazine in London. I got kind of a nasty note back from them saying, you know, we're strictly poetry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, you know, you don't I get guess that I rejection very uh, often. Uh, yeah. And anyway, we came home. Uh, after 364 days in Ireland, and I'd acquired my Irish passport while we were there. I voted, served on a jury, all that. We're home about three weeks. A guy drives up and hands me a um, telegram. I'd never seen one before, and it was from the Northern Ireland Arts Council saying, call this number during business hours. And uh, I called them the next day, and they said, well, the Faber and Faber in London selected The Last of Butch for as the best short story of 86 in the British Isles. Wow. And they said, so what it comes with is if you'll come back to Ireland for a year, you'll be the first American in the Irish National Writers Workshop. So we went back. We moved in right next door to where we lived that first year. The kids are in the same schools. Huh. And, uh, it, and it came with a 25,000-pound bursary, so Jeez. we lived pretty high on the That's ball. awesome. That's yeah. really so awesome. So this was the 80s? Yeah, yeah so 86, 87, okay. back in there. And didn't you tell yeah. me you met up with uh, Sidney Armstrong's dad over there? Yeah, well, we had been next-door neighbors in Denver. So we've done wow. him also. This is yeah. uh, Mile High, Mile Deep. Yes. Yeah. Richard K. O'Malley. We yeah. love that book. Yeah, so Dick and my dad were really good buddies. Oh, that's and, amazing. Uh, Small uh, world. Yeah, know. Dick had, see, he was CIA too. So, oh, right. So he had a lot of dough. Right. He lived in this mansion. Huh. But uh, he had a 57 Thunderbird when they were still a two seater. 
Yeah. My dad had a Chevy Nomad with a 348 in it, so they'd race down 8th Avenue every once in a while. In Helena? No, in, in Denver. Denver. In Denver. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get into the meat of this collection, I wanted you to read. So you lost your dad. How old were you? Like, I was 16. Oh, you were yeah. 16. Okay, but yeah. you were the oldest of nine. No, my, I had an older sister. Oh, you She's okay. about a year older. Ah, okay. Yeah. I just wanted you to read this passage because it sort of sums up not only your writing career, but your life. <laughs> okay. Just this paragraph here. Oh, okay. Curiosity and a certain hankering after new ways to have fun and getting paid to write about pursuits that require hard hats or helmets has provided me with a lot of writing material for decades. My efforts to write about certain oddball fixes for my adventure Joneses has provided me with dozens of published essays and featured articles for glossy national magazines in which I report on outlandish human avocations that generally call for skull protection. <laughs> there are some excellent helmets around anymore and reasons to don them abound. We boomers grew up deriding helmets with phrases like <laughs> skid lids and brain buckets and I showed up too early for today's value your skull culture that's been providing bespoke helmets for any activity. Not that I always get the short end of the stick. Occasionally, I accidentally prevail even the, when the odds weren't conducive. But when I have come up short, got messed up boxing and logging, bull riding, sledding, skiing, skydiving, paragliding, climbing trees with chainsaws, I strive to just get on with my life. As Henry Stamper said, Ken Kesey, sometimes a great notion. When you fall, fall in the direction of your work. Mm. I learned to accept the trauma and adapt to temporary disabilities and compensate for the long-term losses. <laughs> yeah, I like that passage. Oh, I love it, too. Plus, I love uh, sometimes a great notion, one of my favorite books. That is an all-timer. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So tell us how, you know, you've had these... Essays published all in, like you said, a lot of major magazines, and yeah. they've just been laying around. So how did you end up finally getting a collection together and getting it published? Um, so I I didn't write very damn few first-person pieces. Mm. I was usually out on assignment okay. and uh, and writing to a prescribed length that, you know, they'd say give us 4,000 words or whatever. So um, I, a friend, a Facebook friend, put a little thing on Facebook one day about throwing uh, boiling water into mm. the air at 40 below. And it just, it sounds like a whole bowl of Rice Krispies going off at once. kind. Of. And so I, I just sent him a little note saying, yeah, I did that up in Alaska once. And he said, well, geez, I'd like to hear the story. And yeah. I said, well, I'll, I, so that's from that Arctic truck ride. Yeah. To it. yeah. That was one of our favorites. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. a jackpot. I, yeah. Anyway. Is that Lauren? Yeah, Lauren okay. Yeah, I'm driving down to see him on this trip. I've got oh great. Up. Yeah, but anyway, he uh, he he liked that, and he said, "Send me some more if you have some more." And I said, "Yeah, I'll dig up some some more." And so I eventually I sent him uh, uh, 17 essays, and mm. he said, "You got to get these published. Mm. Everybody sees them, likes them." And so he went to see Dan Rice at Riverfeet Press, and. Uh, Dan called a few days later and said he wanted to meet on the banks of the Yellowstone, that first put in just upstream from Livingston. Mm -hmm. So we sat there at a picnic table and had a can of beer and signed a contract. And, That's good. and That's Lauren awesome. was there as kind of the midwife. Oh, nice. Know? Yeah. He's such a nice guy. He is a great guy. Yeah. yeah. I played golf with him a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. He's down there 
playing just about every day. Mm. Yeah. One of my other favorites in the collection is the one about flying the uh, the little go kart. Yeah. Over there in Avon, and when I read it, I remember the first time I heard it. Uh, Bryn Holt and I went out to visit you in Avon, mm -hmm. and you must have just finished it because you said, "Hey, I, I want to read you guys something I just wrote." Yeah. <laughs> so I I heard it. I'd never read it, but I yeah. I'd heard it, and I just remember both when I heard you read it to us and it was great because it was just the three of us, you know, mm -hmm. so we were a rapt audience. Um, but that, that takes place in Avon, Montana of mm -hmm. all places. Can you tell us a little about the background? Like what got this guy to build this thing and what's it called? Is that the paraglider? Yeah, it's a, it's a powered paraglider. And this thing was called the brand name of it was a sky rider spilled with a Y. Right. And, um, he, I don't know how he got started on him, but I saw him flying the thing one day and I had never ridden, in a, flown a paraglider, but I've done a lot of skydiving. But you, you don't, you've never flown a plane or? No, I've had stick time in them. I've never taken one off or landed one, but just flown them around a lot. And so th this machine, is the engine about the size of a lawnmower or bigger? So uh, horsepower is a measure of time, distance, and uh, length. Or no, time, distance. That what they would do, a one, a one horsepower would be lower a 150-pound weight down a 100-foot well, and then one horse should be able to pull that weight out in one minute. Yeah. So to get a human body with that, uh, the weight of the engine and the canopy and everything in the air, requires 19 or 20 horsepower and so these motors are some that definitely they, bigger than a lawnmower right yeah it's a motor they developed to be used on a backpack but for irrigating um vineyards in italy is oh, how they develop that motor yeah so it's just the right size and it's and you don't need a license to fly it or anything and no you don't no that's what makes it kind of egalitarian i thought <laughs> anybody it's amazing how many of these stories are just uh, incidents that you stumbled onto, like the yeah. Tell us the ice trucker story. So that's that's an amazing story. Yeah, eighty I, degrees below zero. Yeah, I was up. Um, so I did a lot of writing for Monsanto magazine, and okay. I was kind of their environmental guy. I did all that sustainability stuff and all that, and they asked me to go up to Prudhoe Bay and do a story about a real environmentally kind of benign heat transfer fluid that they were using up there in the pump stations. And uh, so months ahead of time, I had arranged, I didn't want to just fly into Anchorage and then take the company jet to Prudhoe. So I called up to Fairbanks and talked to this guy, Sourdough Express. He said, yeah, sure, you can jump in a truck, come on up anytime. So I just happened to arrive there just when that coldest day ever was getting started like those are still records those oh man yeah yeah, yeah. and what year was that 82 no at same year it was uh february 1st and 2nd same time when the train wreck happened in oh town so here. 87 89 89 yeah 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 my parents got uh evacuated from their house here because they uh -huh. live pretty close to carroll college yeah and it oh, was man. you know with wind chill it was like 80 below here yeah yeah you want to read so one of the things that amazed me about this story is you go, you go about 150 miles. They've already shattered several tires, and then and then the guy says to you, 
here now we're getting into the hard part. Yeah, right. <laughs> Be ready to jump. This could get bad. So yeah. we're start there and read a couple paragraphs. Yeah. Uh, when we changed the shattered tires, we broke two big lug wrenches. The steel snapped easily after the wrench has been out in the cold for more than just a few minutes. There are design factors that account for cold weather that are incorporated in the manufacture of rubber, metals, fuels, coffee, and humans too, for that matter. But all the design criteria for making things that are useful where people can live and work had no sway over the winter of 1989 in the Arctic. 80 degrees below zero is ruinously cold. By 11 a.m., indirect sunlight was competing with the goldish pink glow from the parking lot lights. The shattered tires were changed, and since he couldn't get a replacement U-joint, Clay slid under the truck and welded the loose one solid. We drove away slowly, anticipating the grinding lurch that meant the freight liner had come undone. The U-joint held. Clay shook his head, repeating, Astonishing. She's an astonishing piece of work. The tincture of sunrise suffusing the tops of the Endicott Mountains to the west tailgated us for the next few hours. Just before we crossed the bridge at the north end of the Dietrich Valley, we stopped to look at an overturned tractor and trailer load of pipe about 50 yards down from the road. This is an unforgiving corner, Clay said as he downshifted to a stop. He ducked into the sleeper and I climbed out his door. I wanted to photograph the scene in the soft light. I framed a few shots with wreckage foreground, pipe grind, pipeline midground, and Brooks Range background. When I climbed back into the cab, Clay was playing Omar and the Howlers doing hard times in the land of plenty. That's an awesome song. <laughs> he estimated that riding the wreck and towing fees to Fairbanks would cost about 14,000 bucks. See now, the thing about all your stories, besides the fact that they're amazing, is your writing, the detail, is just admirable. Oh, thanks. I was telling <laughs> Russell, it reminds me a lot of John McPhee. If he yep. just ended up breaking a lot of legs. And, uh, <laughs> like, he, he never, he never uh, sacrifices his body for the, for the cause. So what was the book you were talking about? That oh, he wrote uh, two books that reminded me a lot of, a lot of common ground there. His book about Alaska coming in to the country. Coming in the country, yeah. Um, but Uncommon Carriers, where he mm -hmm. has... Have you read that? Yeah. yeah. Where he yeah. has the whole section on the long-haul truck drivers. Right. But I think, you know, they're That not guy that Alaska. was hauling that, like, incredibly toxic shit, and then they right. crawl in there and wash it all out and bring milk somewhere. Right, that's what he all. said, and then you yeah. don't know. One day it's hauling mm -hmm. glue, and the next right. day it might be milk. Yeah. <laughs> But when his, uh, the John F John McPhee Reader came out in about 73, I think it was, and that was uh, anthology, condensed versions of a bunch of stuff he'd done. So it was, there was probably about 15 of his pieces in there. And, and uh, man, I just, I'd never seen writing like that. Mm -hmm. It is really unusual. And yeah, he's, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. And I certainly would, you know, put yours in the same category, but in ways, I like what you're doing better because he, John McPhee may have a sense of humor, but it's not like a real driving mm, part of the mm. narrative. And I don't think he's probably that funny of a guy in person, but, but you know, all these stories, he, <laughs> as crazy as they are, there's always a, a, you know, a kind of existential sense of humor. Like, yeah, you just very casually say you broke a lot of bones yeah, or right. I broke a bone every year in those years. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I went for God probably fifty years. I was in the ER at least once a year. But so, you say something yeah, like that. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. But logging and and just a propensity to do interesting things, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I like the story also of how you lost your finger with the little mm -hmm. smiley face on there. Mm -hmm. you know? And the doctor says after he sews you up, uh, something like. Now stay away from me for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to see you again for a while. I think that was Michelotti, and he'd patch me up. I used to go to a veterinarian over in uh, Deer Lodge because he was a lot cheaper. At, you know, by the by the centimeter, however they measure it, you could get stitched up cheaper there mm -hmm. than going into a hospital. So Paul Biznet, he was hell of a vet too. So did you live in Deer Lodge for a while, or you? That's well, where I was you born were raised? there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and I think. We were there, I was about seven. We moved to Denver. Okay. And uh, so I wound up getting out of high school there and then came back to Helena to play ball at Carroll. Yeah. Yeah. So what did your dad do? Uh, he's a door-to-door -door Bible salesman. Oh, that's yeah. right. Trying to raise nine kids doing that. And he died how? I forget. Heart attack. Okay. Yeah. He smoked two packs a day and he liked a steak with butter all over it, you know, and, <laughs> and uh if he lived a few more years, they probably could have patched him up. But this was in '66, and mm, yeah. he just didn't. They, they hadn't refined a lot of that cardiac stuff. Sure. By then. So, where do you get your sense of willingness and adventure? Do you think that's both parents, or neither one of my parents were really risk takers? Mm. Yeah. And really, all of my brothers and sisters are. You know, proper professional people, with <laughs> indoor jobs and stuff. You know, uh -huh. so. no. Some of your, in some places in the book where you talk about like conversations with your brother, and you can tell they're not like you. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know. I, you know, you kind of lead yourself astray incrementally. So that's kind of how a lot of that stuff happened. Flying that guy's thing, I'd watched him fly it. Yeah, and I understood. I could see he was steering it the same way i would steer a parachute except you could ascend right and that just really appealed to me i thought that'd be a lot of fun so, mm -hmm. yeah he let me fly it about four four or five more times and so was there ever a point in doing it where you were like oh my god this is how i'm gonna die uh flying that thing yeah no so you, you felt pretty it gets bumpy up there and uh Something you don't really, you don't have the kind of square footage of canopy when you're skydiving. It doesn't get affected as much by rising thermal air and stuff like that. So, you know, I was just, uh, I was pretty confident I'd pull it off. Landing was the first time it was pretty awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Bounced pretty high and then got it settled down. So, so another book that I thought of was that yours reminded me of was Tim Cahill. Have you met Tim? I haven't met him. No. Oh, okay. No, yeah, I've been loving his book. You guys need to meet You would have some good too. stories yeah. to share. So his his book, I, I guess it was Jaguars Rip My Flesh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. or, um, we, Back we, to we, Death by Ducks. And, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of his stories are similar in that he's, you know, he, he ends up in situations where he, he almost dies a few times. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just was curious about with your uh, continuing to go on these adventures, you, you never seem to feel like you know i just need to be a little more careful <laughs> well just, you just have that sense of it's just always wanting to do new willingness things. yeah so, yeah yeah where the 
that's where the title comes but from. my I, i'm done with that stuff now <laughs> yeah. i haven't even skied when did you years. when did you almost cut your arm off how old were you then well 66 i think oh so you were pretty young then so no, 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 I was older than that. Oh, you were 66 when yeah, it happened. Yeah, this was just a few years yeah. ago. I thought yeah, it was, was I was 68. Holy shit. I was, was still climbing, you know, and I was <laughs> way the hill up this bull pine over Carroll oh, College. Man. Yeah, it was, uh, I couldn't, it was just, I had a hold of a limb, and uh, I wound at the top side, you can run it one-handed, it's got a bar across the top. And so I was going to have to wind it up, and then, saw it with my right hand and then huck that limb out a little ways and just as i got that saw wound up a limb that was swinging in a breeze of gust yeah it hit my elbow and just for a split second yeah. that thing just and it was going full bore those chains move at 88 feet per second when they're running at twelve thousand rpm well it's remarkable you've got full use of that yeah this one is not working as well i smashed it up a couple years ago i'll show you what so you were you were a logger for quite a few years. Yeah, yeah, I did horse logging for about eight years out in the Oregon Coast Range, and then uh, what was it, seventy three, when the oil embargo started up, they shut logging down mm -hmm. in the lower forty eight. So I went up to Ketchikan and flew out of there to a couple of different places and just dipped big spruces up there. So, in the Tongas, or yeah, on these hillsides, no shit. They were you could hand log that stuff. You mm. could tip one downhill and start limbing it, buck the top out of it, put a little uh, screw jack under it, and it'd slide all you know the rest of the way down a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, mm. it was pretty steep ground. So one thing I was curious. We don't usually talk politics too much, but um, I was curious about. So most of the professions you've had and. A lot of your experience are, um, would normally be associated with kind of redneck, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, right wing yeah. attitudes. But you've you've come out of it with a completely different view. And I'm just curious where that came from. LSD when it first came out. <laughs> you know, Kesey was asked one time, what are the name three things you think were essential to human exploration? And he said, well, that would be, you know, the compass and then glass and then LSD. Wow. Yeah. And but I think doing all that acid back in the late 60s when it was still legal, uh -huh. they hadn't even outlawed it yet, changed my mind about myself. Okay. Yeah. So I was willing to take risks with kind of psychic risks in a way. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe this is what Russell's getting at, though, is you've. You seem to have kind of a progressive political demeanor. Yeah. In spite yeah. of your, you know, pursuing a lot of occupations that are associated at least now with a lot of yeah, conservative lot of things. But stuff, yeah. as you were answering, I was thinking, does any of this have to do with your Catholic upbringing? Like, is there a social justice kind of dimension to that? That, that could have something to do with it. My mom's dad was ike's personal bodyguard until really? the secret service kicked in but um Holy yeah cow. he knew mamie from his days in denver when, he, wow. when they were kids together and he was the olympic boxing coach in 34 i think it was or 32 wow, that's awesome. that's yeah amazing. And he's a big tough irish man uh -huh. so he was right next to ike for years there huh but i got a lot of stuff i mean i i've got pictures sitting on ike's lap when i was mm -hmm. a little kid and wow. stuff, you know and, 
but I think I got a lot from just the Irish part of the family. We had that DNA thing done, and it's like 96% Irish and probably 4 or 5% Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think I, you know, the my parents were always Democrats, but Ike might have been the last of the decent Republicans. He was, he still got a pretty respectable track record. You know, and by today's standards, he'd be a bleeding heart liberal. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, yeah. So, yeah, it's sure the divisiveness, especially that son of a bitch Trump pulled in. You yeah, know, it was just. Yeah, and I know some. I've got some real intelligent friends who I go back fifty years or more with them, and they're Trumpers. Mm -hmm. But there's more that connects us than what separates us, and we right. just avoid the damn politics. You know? mm -hmm. So, so what have you come out of all this? You've had such an amazing and interesting life. What have you come out of it with, as far as? Your philosophy. Oh, God, I don't know. I think if you've got willingness as kind of a base note behind you all the time, thumping away, that, it, you know, it can get you into some interesting things. Yeah, just show up if you get curious, mm -hmm. you know, and see see what you can come out of it with. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. a lot of what you've said today and in your book reminds me of, you know, I had an uncle who grew up during the Depression and he would tell me about this friend that he had who no matter what you suggested, no matter what it was, he was all for it. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And he said some of it was kind of dangerous stuff. And he said, but later in life, I asked him, you know, about it. And he said, well, the way I look at it is I've lived four or five lifetimes in the amount of time that most people just, you know, live one life. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you just, you always got to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, when my dad died, me and two of my brothers, who were one's 10 months younger than me and the other one's a couple years younger, but uh, we had to get to work and keep mm. mom afloat. So we were paying her room and board and just, mm. uh, and so going to work that early too, I had some of the fun jobs you can imagine. Mm. I was a lifeguard at the Denver Playboy Club when I was 16. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, all I did really was I did pull uh, Sergio Mendez's drummer out of the field <laughs> some drunken thing that yeah. was going on up here. <laughs> yeah. Remember Brazil 66? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Met uh, Paul Newman up there. Mm. Nice. He was in town stumping for McCarthy, I think it was. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. He was in 68. Yep. Yeah. Huh. And he can you know, we still opened beer cans with the church keys. He had a church key, uh, like a a necklace, a necklace. and every funny. time he drank a beer, he'd do 150 sit-ups <laughs> and, and get that next beer. <laughs> Got to earn it. Yeah. Tell us about Russia, though. How did you end up getting to know the cosmonauts? So Whit Hibbard and I went over with uh, 30 other Aikidoka in 88. What's Aikidoka? Um, well, senseis who are teaching Aikido. Oh, okay, gotcha. But I think anybody who's studying Aikido is an Aikidoka. Okay. So it was illegal to study martial arts in Russia there in the Soviet Union because all weapons had been taken out of people's hands, and they thought this is like having a, you know, a, a, a martial arts way to kill people or whatever. So it was illegal to be there doing it. Mm. But we all stayed with host families, and uh, I ended up with a family in which the mom and the daughter were polar explorers. They went cross-country skiing on um, 
800 miles across Antarctica, their first trip, dragging sleds. They had no, no form of support around them, you know, nobody in a snowmobile tagging along. And uh, they had to make all their tents and clothing and sleeping bags and everything out of used parachutes. Hmm. But anyway, I met them. And so I, uh, when I got back, I went down to San Francisco to meet them there to help them with some fundraising. I rented a van to haul these women around in. And uh, one of them was an ex-cosmonaut hmm. and still living at Star City. She was a psychiatrist too. And we were watching a movie, a video made by a guy named Norman Kent of free fall skydiving. And she, at that time, was the world's women's champion skydiver. Mm. She had over 8,000 jumps. And I was watching her, watching the video. And at the end of it, she said, uh, did you like, I thought she said, did you like the skydiving? But what she said was, would you like to skydive? <laughs> and I I was effusive. I knew to say, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. And though, so then about, oh, I don't know, a couple months later, I get this torturously translated letters saying since you want to skydive please to come to Moskva uh, when the snow is very deep mm -hmm. and so and it turns out there there was a reason for that right yeah, yeah. I got drug around quite a bit yeah that's a good yeah. story too yeah so anyway they once I met the the skydiving club I still belong to in fact this is their little logo mm -hmm. right here <laughs> right yeah. on so nice. Yeah, it uh, the club I was involved in was mostly cosmonauts, some scientists and engineers from this uh, Zvezny Gorodok, which is kind of like our Houston Space Center. So, mm. and man, they could get me in to see anybody I wanted mm. to see. You know, I it's hard to arrange a lot of stuff from here if you're going on assignment over there. But I just figure on being there for at least a month and just get these arrangements made. But those cosmonauts just came through all the time. Hmm. I, I wanted to ask because it didn't seem like it came out too much in the book. But was there ever any sense of they kept a close leash on you? Or? Oh man, I yeah, I've got a whole oh god, I've got probably hundred thousand words on just my first trip there. Yeah. And so I wasn't doing Aikido, but I was the guy with the camera and the notebook. And whenever Russian athletes, for instance, would go travel around outside the Soviet Union, they'd have KGB watching them. Mm. So they'd have all these athletes, and then they'd have the guys with the notebooks and cameras. So they just assumed I was the CIA guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. The first people I stayed with were these two just drop-dead gorgeous young Russian nurses, they, they said they were. and uh, but So I stayed about three nights with them, and we were out past midnight once and the the metro's all closed down at midnight you can't mm. get on a subway after midnight so we were taking a cab and there was a guy laying in the middle of the road and he had what looked like about a 10-foot lodgepole pine stick next to him mm -hmm. and it just improbable so you know i got the taxi guy to the driver to stop and i went over i'm an emt and i went over and i'm checking his vitals mm. And these uh, nurses didn't know how to check for a pulse. Mm. Neither one of them had any idea. And so the next <laughs> that was morning, your first clue then, huh? next morning, um, <laughs> one's got to go. Her father died or something. And the other one uh, had to go be a nurse in Siberia or someplace. So so that's how I ended up with this family of polar explorers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. 
so that that's how and then it just snowballed from there mm. yeah well why don't you uh tell the audience about your upcoming book tour where are you going to be okay so i'm going to go to jackson and then boise and then salt lake and then uh vegas wow down around uh where, wherever lauren har is and then over to Santa Fe and then up to Salida, Colorado. And then I'm finishing up at uh, the Tattered Cover in Denver. Oh. It's a big old bookstore. Yeah, down there. it's a great bookstore. Yeah. So, and then got a niece getting married. Mm. But I'm going to read on Patty's Day at the Tattered Cover. Mm, okay. And it's going to be that piece that won the oh, cool. short story award over there. So, so this, is awesome. this all going to be in March? Yeah, I'm taking okay. off first or second or third. Okay. Right in there. And are you yeah. driving this whole thing? Or? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, are you working on anything new? or? Yeah, so I'm going back looking for more of the first person stuff that I mm. can add to. A lot of the stuff that's in the book, you know, I did write it to a prescribed length, but all those, some of those are twice as long as they mm. were when they were first published. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. If you, I mean, that's the great thing about doing a collection is you right. can, you you can go back to what you originally in. wanted to do. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, the, everything that's in there that was published was fact-checked, and it's all, I don't have to worry about dates and mm. was it really 10 below that day and all that. That's, oh, yeah. you know, that's pretty easy stuff to ascertain. So, Speaking of cold, the uh, yeah. guy in the trash can. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, I couldn't find was... out how he was doing because yeah. the, the hospital can't tell you. Right. But I never heard from him again. Nothing. What a jerk. He was... <laughs> Well, you know, he was in shock. Yeah, was, I know. Yeah. I know that was part of it. But, but yeah, whole... he went from you saved my life to uh, the Lord in heaven saved yeah. me, you know, and, right. and, uh, and then stiffed me on the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Too, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he was, boy, I didn't think, I didn't like watching him drive off. I didn't know if he was going right? to be able to do that. You know? Yeah. That was an amazing story. Yeah. Well, Tom, you, you got anything else? No, I, this okay. is great. I mean, we could we could talk like this probably the rest well, of the afternoon. Well, we could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sure could. Yeah, this this has been great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys. I admire us. what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Man, we have a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, especially when we get to talk to people like you. So there, it's also interesting, you know, and this is where the veracity comes into question a lot. But like he hung out with John Bozeman right. and was there when jo Chief Joseph was, you know, on his last journey. And there's so many uh, big events from that period that um, he was supposedly present for. Right. In many ways, it reminds me of Little Big Man. You know, oh, yeah, the, yeah. The Thomas Berger novel. Absolutely, yeah. It'd be interesting to know if he was influenced by this at all, because, you know, they that both, it's like wherever the action is, he right. just happens he to just be there. He just happened to be there, yeah. That is a good question, I wonder. I guess I would say, just in response to your comment about veracity, that that's really one of the things I think is important in literature, is contrasting veracity like did it really happen which would be nonfiction. Mm -hmm. so harpel's book is nonfiction, yeah for sure and it's all fact checked like he said so 
it has great veracity. Whereas in literature, it's verisimilitude you're after. It ah. didn't really happen, but it could have happened. Mm -hmm. And since this book purports to be nonfiction, but we know some of it is yeah. made up, you know, it, it cast the whole thing into doubt and it's probably better off if you think of it as a novel mm -hmm. with a lot of historical truth in it. Right. It, it's that problem with the guy who wrote the book, a uh, million little pieces. Oh yeah. James Fry. Remember that book? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or, or I was thinking of the other one, the education of um, little, little tree. tree. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's uh, I don't think creative nonfiction was probably even an, a term back when this was published, but it's, that's kind of what it is, you know, creative nonfiction. That's, loosely based on maybe part of his life either way you know it's, it's a, a great, great read. read it's a yeah. great story there's no denying there's that. a lot of incredible um events that take place in this guy's life and um and i also think well it's written interesting that you know he's hispanic so he mm -hmm. i don't think we've read a lot of hispanic right. writers and from that Montana literature. time period especially yeah he must not have looked that Hispanic, because there's a lot of incidents that happen where, you know, they, he comes up on a group of people and they they assume he's white. Right. So he must have been, you know, part white or something or just didn't look that Hispanic, um, which is interesting, too. Like passing. He was basically he was passing. Except the Yeah, I agree. Except the obvious, you know, his name, his name. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting too. Uh, well, at least in the article written by Ben Stein's son, that there are a lot of Garcias that still live in Montana that claim. Oh. Um, and on reservations. Really. That claim. Uh, to be relatives. Yeah, ancestors. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Or he was their ancestor. Mm hmm. Hmm. Well, according to his own account, there could there could have been. <laughs> Well, right, and the the son here says that doesn't he claim at some point that he was he had thirty two children? Oh, really? And, and if it's not he that makes the claim, somebody who knew him said he fathered thirty two children. Wow! And David Stein in his article says it's certainly possible. Wow! <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too. Yeah. Huh. So but, maybe he was just a really good con man who told great stories, <laughs> or. You know, you also have to think about, like, what was his motivation for writing it all down? And since mm. he didn't publish it himself as a book, like, you know, what was he trying to do? Like, did he hope that whoever published it would make him out to be a better person than he was? Mm. Or was he just trying to tell a really good story and entertain people? Mm -hmm. So we loved both of these books, Tough Trip Through Paradise by Andrew Garcia. And Regarding Willingness by... Tom Harpole. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, uh, Isle of Books in Bozeman and Isle of Books and Books in Butte, and all of the people who donated to our fundraiser a couple months ago, too. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah, thanks for keeping us going. Join us again next time. Breakfast in Montana. Thanks. <laughs>